Good to see you this morning. Sound good, by the way. If you are a guest of ours, it's my turn to welcome you here. We're glad that you're with us this morning. I hope you feel right at home. I want to start with a question, and this is really kind of a just a get-to-know-each-other kind of question, just for my information. How many of you, does anyone, because I don't know the answer to this, does anyone here have their pilot's license? Whoa, several. Okay. I didn't know we had a couple pilots in here. Nice. Um, yeah. Several years ago, Paul Mare, who used to worship here, took me up for a flight in his little two-seater. Went out to Plant City Airport, and it was fun, and it was, you know, kind of neat. But we get in this thing, just me and Paul, and we're sitting pretty close, and we're up in the air, and it starts, you know, shaking pretty good. And I got my headphones on, he's got his headphones on, and, and uh, I said, Paul, is it supposed to do that? Oh, yeah, it does that sometimes. He says, here, you fly for a while. I said, I don't want to fly for a while. You know. He said, well, you're not nervous, are you? You're not afraid, are you? I said, well, there's only two people in this plane, and only one of us knows how to fly the plane. So, yeah, if anything happens to you, my life is literally in your hands right now, Paul. And he said, well, Tim, you're, you're a preacher. Don't you know that Jesus is always with us? We're not alone up here. And I said, Paul, Jesus' promise was, lo, I am with you always. <laughs> you never say anything about hi, I am with you always. Which is a really old preacher joke, I know. But I did go flying with him, and it, and it was fun, but I was, I was not inspired to become a pilot. Let's put it that way. I say that because I came across a list of important information not too long ago that everyone who is a pilot or everyone who has aspirations of ever flying a plane needs to know. Let me share with you a couple guidelines. Number one, every takeoff is optional. Every landing is mandatory. In other words, what goes up does come down. Gravity is not a concept. It's a law, not open to repeal. Uh, another, uh, another rule, if you push the stick forward, the houses get bigger. If you pull the stick back, the houses get smaller. Unless you pull it back too far, then they get bigger again real fast. It's always better to be down here wishing you were up there rather than up there wishing you were down here. Any, any landing that you can walk away from is a good landing. Any landing that they can use the airplane again is a great landing. And then I was told that pilots start with a bag full of luck and an empty bag of experience. The trick is to fill up the bag of experience before you empty the bag of luck. And then finally, there are old pilots and there are bold pilots. There are no old, bold pilots. And of course, the whole idea behind that list is if you're going to fly an airplane, you better know what you're doing. If you're going to get up in an airplane, you don't have too many second chances to make a bad mistake. There are some things that you really need to know. You need to get right the first time. We're spending the first quarter in 2017 here at Bay Area in our adult classes talking about grace. I'm going to encourage you again, go to a class today. If you're not in the habit of going to a class, slip into one this morning. You can do it. You know, nobody's going to call you out. 
Uh, I promise you'll be blessed by it. Really some encouraging classes going on right now. I'm spending this month, uh, several weeks, talking about Jesus. So I think that the more we understand Jesus, the more we'll appreciate grace. And last week I talked about Jesus as a teacher. And what I want to do this morning is really kind of follow up on that just a little bit. Really just sort of touched the tip of the iceberg last week. And there's a couple other thoughts that I want to share with you this morning concerning Jesus as a teacher. Uh, just to get us on the same page, kind of a quick review. Last week we talked about the fact that Jesus taught with authority. Talked about rabbis a little bit. Jesus was a teacher unlike any other teacher. He was a rabbi unlike any other rabbi. Scripture made it very plain. History has proven. Eternity will bear it out. Jesus knew what he was talking about. Well, truly, truly, I say unto you, Jesus said over and over again, I know. He taught with authority. All authority was given him. Not only that, but Jesus taught with a very focused purpose. He wasn't teaching just to fill his disciples up with knowledge. He wasn't just making sure that they could pass the Sanhedrin entrance exam. You know, he wasn't just teaching for a test. He wanted to teach them something that they could use, something practical. You know, we say today that people learn how to learn when you go to school. You go to, you know, you go to college, you go to higher education, you kind of learn how to learn, and that's true. Jesus wasn't teaching so that people could learn how to learn. He was teaching so that people could learn how to live. And then finally he talked about the fact that because he had all authority, because he had a purpose to, to change lives, he taught truth. In fact, he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the way. No one comes to the Father but by me. And then the Apostle John said this about him. In John chapter 5, 1 John 5. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are hidden, or we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So we talked about how Jesus taught. We talked about what he taught. Has it ever occurred to you who Jesus taught? Jesus, the master teacher, who did he teach? And the knee-jerk reaction is he taught everybody, which is true. He did teach everybody. But I think there's some significance to looking at who it was that Jesus taught. I think we don't spend a little bit of time there, we won't appreciate it. Who did Jesus teach? Who did he pay attention to? Who did he make eye contact with, smile and say, come here, i got something to share with you. I think you're going to want to hear this. I think I can help you. Who did he, who did he reach out to? Because I'll guarantee his target audience was very different than the target audience of most rabbis during his time. I'll give you a couple of uh, examples. Remember the story of Luke. Uh, he visits the home of uh, a pair of sisters by the name of Mary and Martha. Luke chapter 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do work by myself? Tell her to help me. 
Now, usually when we look at that passage, we focus on the sisters. Martha has kind of this um, servant heart, kind of this, uh, you know, she's very focused on getting a job done. Mary has seemed to have more of a reflective, more of a thoughtful heart, how to be a Mary in a Martha world. And usually we focus on those sisters. There's a lot of lessons to be learned by focusing on the sisters, by the way. I don't know, maybe it's because I'm in love with a girl named Martha, but I think Martha gets a bad rap in Scripture. You know, when Jesus shows up to, to raise Lazarus, their brother from the dead, it's Martha that has the spiritual focus. And here in Luke, it's Martha that invites Jesus into their home. Actually, both of these women are amazing. But I think if we focus just on the sisters, we miss something really significant that's going on. We missed something that Jesus is doing that really was countercultural and really was outside the box. Verse 39 says that Mary sat at the Lord's feet. It's a very intentional phrase. It's a very specific phrase. To sit at someone's feet meant something in that culture. We talked last week about rabbis, and to sit at the feet of someone was to actually say, I am a disciple of this rabbi. The phrase is used another time in Scripture, Acts chapter 22, when Paul is defending himself as a Jew. And he goes through a list of some things that kind of mean that he really is a Jew. And he uses the phrase, I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. And what Paul was saying and what the people hearing him understood was, I was Gamaliel's disciple. Gamaliel was my rabbi. What Luke is saying in Luke chapter 10, what the people hearing this certainly would have understood, as Luke tells us that Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening, was that Mary, a woman, was a disciple of Jesus. Jesus was this woman's rabbi. Jesus accepted women as his disciples. Now that doesn't mean very much to us. We don't even think about that. Because we don't live in the first century. And we live in a pretty accepting society. And we all know lots of very, very spiritual women. But this fact would not have been lost on those people in the first century. That Jesus chose to teach women as well as men. At a time and a place, a culture where women were just sort of a half notch above livestock on the ladder of importance. Jesus saw them as important. Jesus taught women. Not only did he teach women, he would teach outsiders. We know the story in John chapter 4. Jesus is uh, in Samaria. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Jesus is alone at a well. A Samaritan woman comes to draw water. He asks for a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John parenthetically adds, For Jews do not associate with Samaritans, as if he really needed to add that, because everybody knew that Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. So here is this Samaritan woman who is in the middle of this, um, this situation, and she understands there's all kind of things wrong with what's going on here. You are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You are a man. I am a woman. What are you doing first noticing me 
What are you doing talking to me? What are you doing asking something of me? And Jesus has a very interesting conversation with this lady. They talk about worshiping God. He talks about living water. He talks to this woman about spiritual things. He doesn't put her down. He doesn't condemn her. He, he doesn't, you know, stiff arm her. He engages this Samaritan woman in a spiritual conversation. Again, in that time, in that culture, it would have been unthinkable. Then the boys come back. Verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. <laughs> yes, they were. But no one asks, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Jesus had time for those that everyone else said, those are outsiders, have nothing to do with him. Jesus also had time for children. And again, we love Matthew 19. Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. He placed his hands on them. He went on from there. And that makes a really nice picture, doesn't it? It makes a really nice image as we sing, Jesus loves me. But again, we fail to really realize how different this rabbi was. Because no other rabbi would have done that. No other rabbi would have taken the time out of their day, out of their schedule. No other rabbi would have prioritized children in any way whatsoever. But Jesus does. Jesus came and he cared about everyone. Women, children, Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, tax collectors, prostitutes, Gentiles, Jews, lepers. Jesus cared about everyone. He cared about everyone because he loved everyone. I got a question for you this morning. Who would fall into that category for us? Who would be kind of the outsiders for us today? Us as a culture and us as a church family. And I think really the list is probably a little bit shorter in 21st century America than it would have been in 1st century Palestine. I think we live in a pretty accepting uh, society. But who would you put on that list? Who, who would it be that just, hmm, don't have anything to do with those people? And I got to thinking, who would be on, who would be on the list? Um, maybe, maybe a convicted child molester? It'd be tough. Maybe someone who has a habit of um, hitting women? Hmm. Maybe a white supremacist? That, that would be difficult. Maybe a radical, radical Muslim? Hmm. Or maybe I'm overthinking it. I don't know. Maybe it would be you know, people that I'm not comfortable around you and you shouldn't be comfortable around us. Maybe it's, maybe it's a recently divorced woman. Maybe it's an unemployed dad. Maybe it's a homesick college student. But I keep asking myself, how accepting are we? Not as a culture, as a church. How accepting are we? In other words, how often do people walk in our doors and because of their station in life, because of the way they look, the way they dress, the color of their skin, 
How many people walk in and say, hmm, I don't fit here. They don't want me here. It's pretty obvious. You know, I think we're a pretty, I think we're a very friendly congregation. And we're really working on being more friendly. And I'm not talking about people that walk in and, and kind of slip through the cracks. You know, nobody spoke to me and somehow they didn't get noticed and walk back out going, that really wasn't a very friendly congregation. Well, that's important. We're working on it. But what I'm talking about are people that come in and say, ooh, they don't want me. I have no place in that family, in that church. How often does that happen? Here's what I think. Just my opinion. And yours might be completely different. This is just my perception. I think Bay Area is pretty accepting. In fact, I really can't think of anyone who would walk in and feel like, ooh, I could never fit here. Ooh, they don't want me here. Uh, I think that I think this is a very accepting family. In fact, one of the things I love most about this family is the fact that we are a family. Really, in the truest sense of the word. Yeah, we're a little bit dysfunctional. You know, we have our hang-ups and we have our flaws and our faults. But if you're a guest of ours today, I'll tell you, we really do love the Lord. And we really do love each other. In fact, we really do sort of need each other. I can't, I can't envision a single scenario when someone would walk in our door and say, I get the impression I'm not welcome here. A personal story. Several years ago, uh, my daughter and her husband were living in Pensacola. He was doing some schooling there. Martha and I and our boys went over to spend the afternoon with them. Uh, we went out to eat one evening there in Pensacola. Most of you know my son-in-law, Jeremy, is African-American. Uh, we walk into a restaurant. We sit down. There's a group of young guys sitting in the table beside us. We get a menu. We're looking at it. And one of the fellas in the table beside us made eye contact with Jeremy. And he said, we don't appreciate your kind in here. Now, I was aghast. And we all kind of look at this guy and go, what? What did you just say? And this young guy gets this panicked look on his face. He goes, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. I mean, I mean, he's got a Michigan shirt on. And we're Ohio State fans. And sure enough, they all had on Ohio State gear. Jeremy was wearing a Michigan t-shirt. It was the Saturday that Michigan and Ohio State were playing each other. And this guy goes, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Just, well, I was just joking. And you know, I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, that's real funny. Now I say that and we laugh about that, but I know that there's an awful lot of you who have had that same thing happen to you and there was no punchline at the end. And there was no misunderstanding. You were told, you were made to feel like you don't fit, you don't belong, we don't, we don't like your kind around here. I hope that doesn't happen at Bay Area. Well, maybe during the Florida, Florida State weekend, okay. But <laughs> I hope that never happens here. But I've got to wonder, even though I think we are very uh, accepting, are we attractive? I really do think Bay Area is accepting of just about everyone. Are we attractive to just about everyone? Because I think there's a difference. 
See, Jesus was not just accepting of everyone. He was attractive to everyone. Those Gentiles, those Jews, the Samaritans, the tax collectors, the lepers, the, the sinners, the, the homeless, the lame, the beggars. They found Jesus fascinating. They were drawn to Jesus. They flocked to Jesus. Why? Because He had a message that He wanted them to hear and He had a message that they really needed to hear. Don't tell me, oh, it's just because He was helping them. And don't tell me, oh, it's because He was feeding them and He was healing them. Of course they were drawn to Him. That's not why Zacchaeus was drawn to Him. Zacchaeus didn't need any stuff. That's not why this Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 sticks around and carries on the conversation and then brings people back to Jesus. That's not why the sinful woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and dried it with her hair, that's not why she was there. They were, they were Jesus because they wanted to hear what He had to say. Because they knew that their lives needed something. They found Jesus fascinating. They found Jesus as a source of hope. And they desperately needed that hope. So I think we've got to continue to be asking ourselves, how can we be more attractive to everyone? What can we do to, to tell more people about Jesus? Those people who look and act just like us, and those people who really don't have much of all, anything at all in common with us. Because Jesus is the message... And Jesus is just as attractive today as he's ever been. And I'm not talking about we'll just tell people what they want, you know. No, I'm talking about tell people Jesus. I'm talking about preaching Jesus Christ and teaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know, there's a lot of ways that I want to be more like Jesus. And one of those ways is I want to be more attractive to the people that everybody else kind of stiff arms. I want to let people that maybe don't find a place anywhere else, know that they have a place at the feet of Jesus. Timothy Keller made a quote in one of his books that, that pretty much stopped me in my tracks when I read it. If our teaching is not attracting the same kinds of people as Jesus attracted, maybe we're not teaching the same things that Jesus taught. It's a very convicting statement. And it's pretty hard to argue with that statement. If our teaching is not attracting the same kinds of people that Jesus attracted, maybe we're not teaching the same things that Jesus taught. Okay, down from my soapbox. Um, how did Jesus teach? He taught with authority. Why did he teach? He taught to change lives. What did he teach? He taught truth. Who did he teach? He taught everybody. And then finally, when did he teach? And again... The easy answer is the right answer. He was always teaching. He taught all the time. Mark chapter 9, a pretty neat story. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago, actually, but uh, Jesus is on the way somewhere. When he gets to where he's going, he asks his disciples a question. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? There was a conversation that the disciples were having as they were walking in the house, Jesus says, what were you arguing about on the road? Andrew? James? Philip? What were you arguing about on the road? 
um, we, we, we were talking about a lot of things on the road. I don't, you know, I, I don't really remember, um, you know, Philip, what were we talking? I don't know. Because now it seems kind of childish. Now it seems a little bit silly. They kept quiet because on the way they'd argued about who was the greatest. They were with Jesus, but they weren't thinking about Jesus. They were thinking about themselves. Who's the most important? Who's kind of the biggest deal around here? Who's the greatest? And Jesus, of course, uses that as this great teaching moment. Verse 35. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve. Guys, come here. I want to share something with you. Everybody over here, together around Jesus. He looks him in the eye. If anyone wants to be first, be the very last, the servant of all. I know what you were talking about, but here's the deal. You want to be important? You have to serve people. Now, my question is, because you know that story, but my question is, was Jesus qualified to teach that lesson? Did he have the right to teach that? Hey, you want to be somebody important? Give up everything that you think is important and be a servant. Did Jesus have the right to teach that? Of course he had the right to teach that. In fact, he didn't just teach it, he modeled it. He lived it. Nobody gave up what Jesus gave up. And nobody came to serve the way Jesus has served. Nobody, nobody gave up so much and sacrificed so much. So yeah, Jesus had the right to teach this. See, here's the great thing about Jesus. He was always teaching. And he still is always teaching. Because the life that he lived is the life that he taught. Jesus not, didn't just tell us information. He left us this wonderful example of how to treat people, how to deal with situations, how to handle your anger, where your focus really needs to be, where your pride needs to, to be in check. Look to the life of Jesus as well as the teachings of Jesus. And he's still teaching. Class is still open. You know, when your kids are in high school, they kind of fret about uh, what school am I going to get into? Well, Jesus is still accepting enrollment. You don't have to wonder if you're you know, going to get in. He's still accepting applicants. What do you do? You find Jesus fascinating. You know, I keep coming back to that. People in the first century, people in the Gospels, they found Jesus fascinating. And I think somehow we've kind of removed ourselves from that a little bit. Somehow Jesus has become someone to study and someone to learn about rather than to watch and listen to. Jesus, the master teacher, is still a fascinating teacher. Why? Because he's so personal. And he's so practical. And yet, you know, he's changing the world. But he's changing my life. Because I still need Jesus. Everybody that you come in contact with, again, people just like us that we're really, you know, attractive to and people that we really don't have much in common with. 
desperately need Jesus. He's still the message. Now, I'm going to encourage you to go to class right after this worship service and talk about grace and think about grace and how that ties in with a fascinating Jesus who loved us enough not just to teach us what we need, to show us what we need, and then to give us what we need. That perfect cleansing blood on the cross. It all comes back to Jesus on the cross. Travis has a song that we're going to use as a song of encouragement. As a family, if we can pray with you in any way, maybe, maybe you're a place in your life where, you know, I've never really accepted Jesus. I've never, I've never made him the Lord of my life. We'd love to talk to you about that. Nothing more important. As a family, we can help you in any way. There's going to be some people down here at the front of the auditorium. You can meet us there. Let's stand and sing.